So we're continuing our, our series on on fire, and we're looking at we've been looking at Jesus being manifested, or the Father being manifested as fire in the Old Testament. And so Pam gave us an introduction a couple of weeks ago, three weeks ago, four weeks ago, whatever it was. And then Graham came and spoke about Moses and the burning bush. And then last week, Rihanna did really well speaking about the pillar of fire in Israel's history. And today, I want to continue that. We're going to go into Exodus chapter 19 and 20, and we're going to talk about the God who reveals himself in fire. And the the title of the message is called, He's Not Safe. He's Not Safe. And as we get on, I think you're you're going to come to the same conclusion I did. We're better off with a God that's not safe. Okay? So you may not think that's true right at the moment, but we're going to go through it. So let's go into the next slide. And uh, I'm going to use three words today, all starting with D. So today's message is brought to you by the letter D. And they all, they all have an aspect of fire about them. And so there's, there's an aspect of God in the, in the passage, but there's also an aspect of fire. And there's something about fire that desires fuel. Have you noticed that? Who's ever seen the fire jump from one side of the road to another side of the road to get to, get to a tree? You know, there's no messing about with that thing. It just goes across. When I was in Thailand, we had a, um, we had a, a, a guy that used to make this thing called Pak Bun Phai Dang, which was morning glory, fried morning glory. And what they did is that they'd put the hot oil in and then it would catch on fire. And then they'd throw the fire from one side of the restaurant to the other. It was all kind of theatre. And uh, when, they, when the hot oil hit the pan and the morning glory went in with the, the water, it was the water that, that caused the, the flame, it would shoot up 10 feet in the air. It was amazing. What they didn't realise was the electricity cable running to the restaurant was right above the wok. So, and um, I was sure one day that thing was just going to fall apart. So let's go to the scripture. This is a story about, last week we saw Rihanna talking about um, Moses leading the children of Israel out of Egypt and and basically taking them to um, Canaan or or to the land which we now call Israel. And so it's interesting, God started with a man called Abram, okay, who became Abraham. He started with a man. A man and his wife, basically. And then he gave him a son. And so it moved from a man to a family. And then his son had a son. And that son had 12 sons. And so it moved from a man to a family to a clan. Then it moved to a people. And then God wasn't finished with that. He was taking them out of Egypt and into Israel because he wanted them to become a nation. So he went from a man to a family to a clan to a people to a nation. And God is always moving that way. He always comes and looks for a man. The Bible says the eyes of the Lord go to and fro through the earth looking for someone through whom he might show himself strong whose heart is completely committed to him. He's looking. Today, he's looking. He's looking through the congregation. He's saying, who's here today? 
Who's here today that wants to rise up and become a family, become a people, become a clan, become a nation? And so this is when the people of Israel have come out of Israel and sort of just remembering they went in as a family, they came out as a people. They went in as one. Joseph went into Egypt, right? And then his, his family came later. When they came out, there's a lot of different speculation on how many there were. But I think we could probably say there was about 600,000. 600,000. So of 400 years, they went from one to 600,000. And so this 600,000 people are coming out and they don't really know God. Kind of. They kind of do. There was this historical God that, that came with Joseph and was with Joseph and, and brought um, Jacob, his father, and the family down into Egypt and, and, and blessed them. You know, God blessed them. And, and, and it was a God that they wanted to serve because he was just a God that blessed them. And they were in Goshen and the, the, where they lived in Goshen, Pharaoh was so impressed with Joseph that he said to them, choose any part of the land you want. And they said, we'll take Goshen. Because it was fertile. It was the best, it was best pickings. It was the best place to go. It was the best land. And so they had this mindset of a God that was just there to bless them. That's all he was. And so when he begins to take them out of Israel and we, sorry, out of Egypt and, and heading for a nation, Rihanna talked about the pillar of fire and he came and started to reveal himself. And this morning, we're looking at this passage in Exodus chapter 19 where he, he actually says, okay, I'm going to engage with this group of people that, that we call, well, I'm not sure what they called them because they weren't really, they were the family Israel, they were the people Israel, but they weren't the nation Israel. And he says, this is what I want you to say to the descendants of Jacob. This is speaking to Moses now. You yourselves have seen what I did to, in, to Egypt and how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Really key word there. Brought you to myself. God is always trying to move us from where we are to himself. That's his, that's his object. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although, although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. You know, long before Jose Feliciano ever sang Light My Fire, before, yeah, some of you older people know that, before John Farnham ever sang, sang Burn For You, God was singing with desire, a burning desire over us. Zephaniah says, the Lord thy God in the midst of thee is mighty. He will sing, he will rejoice over thee with joy. He will rest in his love. He will joy over you with singing. He sings a love song, a burning love song, because God desires a people. Now, was he confident that Israel would be the people? No, he wasn't. Because within 40 days of him saying that, they were dancing around a calf, drinking and having a fine old time and saying that calf is our God. So they weren't exactly reliable. But the interesting thing is if we go to the next verse that we've got up there, we find that in the New Testament, so we've jumped from the second book of the, the Bible, right at the front, Exodus, and we've jumped all the way over 
to almost one of the last books in the New Testament called, it's called Peter, 1 Peter 2.9. And we see the same verse as being spoken. Basically the same concept. But God chose you to be his people. You are royal priests. You are a holy nation. You are God's special treasure. You are all these things so that you can give him praise. God brought you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. That, that, whole, that whole story of Israel, in the Bible it says that God did all these things through Israel to be examples for us upon whom the end of the ages come. In other words, the whole history. Why do we have that story in our Bible? I mean, it's just about Israel. It's not really got much to do with us, really. We're Australians. Why is it there? What's the significance of it? It's because in this story, and we're going to see over the next few weeks, in this story, there are examples and and pictures and uh, analogies that begin to open up who Jesus is to us. And in this situation, in this story, we see what God was saying over Israel. He was looking for a people. Israel disappointed him. He was still looking for a people. He knew what he had in mind. He knew what he was planning. When the right time came, Galatians says, God sent his son, born of a virgin, born under the law. So when the time was right, God intervened himself. And he gathered to himself a people. Gathered to himself a people. And in fact, when the church was born, the word that was used was not like building, although that did come into, into vogue later on. Do you know what the word meant? It's called ecclesia. It's a Greek word and it means the gathering. The gathering. So we say we're going to church this morning, but it's not exactly accurate. We're going to the gathering We're going to the place where the people that God has called to himself gather together. Under him shall the gathering of the people be. Okay, so the first first thing is desire. God desired a people. And I've managed to go a whole bunch right through there without looking at my notes. And I don't know now where I am. The, The problem was that but that Israel had a skewed vision of God. You know, they'd, they'd kind of been left to their own devices and they had this kind of um, story that was handed down vocally, uh, historically, about a God that called their father Abraham to himself. And that was pretty much all the theology they had. They didn't know who God was. And so what happens when we don't know who God is, but we want to know him, but we've got no way of putting the pieces together, what do we do? Well, we create him in our mind, don't we? Uh, Genesis says that God made man in his own image. We often do that ourselves. We make God in our image. And we think that God thinks like us, acts like us, sometimes as reliable as us. Who's feeling reliable today? Who's ever, who's ever been unreliable? Sometimes we think God's like that. And in fact, God says in the Old Testament, you thought I was just like you. But he's not. And he wanted to come and show them, I'm not like you. 
I'm really different to what you think. You think I'm just the kind of like a big stuffed toy that blesses you and you can cuddle up to at night when you're feeling a little bit scared. But he's not like that. Let's go to the next screen. He's dangerous. He's dangerous. God is dangerous. Just just throw up the next screen. Who's, who's ever seen the, the story of Narnia? Susan and Lucy and Peter were having a little bit of a discussion with Mr. Beaver. And Mr. Beaver said, tomorrow we're going to meet Aslan. And Susan, oh, goody, we're going to meet the king. And he said, well, I should tell you that Aslan is a lion. So Susan says, ooh, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Mr. Beaver says, safe? Who said anything about safe? Of course he's not safe. But he's good. He's the king, I tell you. See, God's not safe. And if we go to the next scripture, God said to them, I want to draw you to myself, so get yourself ready. In three days, I'm going to come and reveal myself to you. And they're going, woohoo, God's going to reveal himself to us. And he's going to be like a stuffed lion, like a little toy. And we can take him home at night and put him in the tent, and he'll make us feel safe and good about ourselves. And so they get ready and they come out to the place and God shows up and this is what it looks like. On the morning of the third day there was thunder and lightning, a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. I don't believe that was a trumpet blast from earth. I don't believe it was Moses blowing a trumpet saying, come on guys, let's get ready. It was a trumpet blast from heaven. And everyone in the camp trembled, as you would. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God. (laughs) There's still probably a little bit of excitement there. We're going to meet with God. Don't like the look of that mountain, but you know, let's go with it. So they came and stood at the foot of the mountain and Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. Okay, (laughs) this is not what we were expecting, is it? They're saying to themselves, turns to his wife, he's not quite what I thought he was going to be. God had come down and the mountain is on fire because God's there. God is dangerous. How many of you ever noticed that fire is dangerous? When I was quite young, well, I was married, but I was, still, I was married at quite young. And back in, back in those days, which my grandchildren called the olden days, I, uh, we didn't have a green top bin. You know the bin that you put all your grass clippings in? The, the council couldn't afford those in those days. So um, back in those days, we just used to burn our grass in the backyard and anything else we had in the backyard, we'd just start a fire and burn it. And when you're trying to burn grass, especially if it's a little bit damp, it sometimes needs some help because it kind of just smoulders and it won't catch on fire and it's not very impressive. So I decided that day, I knew petrol wasn't really good to put on a fire, but um, it was all I had. So I thought, oh, well, I'll go with petrol. So, you know, I was pretty careful. I put the petrol on and on the fire and then I got, you know, I didn't try and light it with a little redhead match, you know, like that's way too close to the fire. So, you know, I, I lit a long stick, you know, and put the long stick on the grass and it starts to smoulder and Nothing. 
I thought, that's disappointing. What's it doing? I'll go over and have a look. And I went over and had a look and I went... And a flame shot six metres into the air. Hey, presto, no eyebrows. Fire is dangerous. God is dangerous. When Beaver said to the children... You're going to meet the lion. Is he safe? Of course he's not safe. He's a lion. But he's good. My grandson has this little lion, Noah. And um, my son Josh reads him a story every night about the lion teaching the little lion, like the dad lion teaching the boy lion how to be a good lion. And Noah has his little stuffed lion that goes with the story and he holds the lion, little stuffed lion, while his dad's reading him the story about the lion. And sometimes I think that we think God is like the little stuffed lion. You know, that's the way we want God to be. Under our arm, under our control, there to make us feel good when we're feeling a little bit insecure at night. You know, when the boogeyman comes, we can snuggle up with the little lion and it's all good. But God's not like that. And there's a reason he's not like that. I don't know about you, but I've noticed that this life is not necessarily easy. Anybody with me on that one? There's stuff that gets done to us. But worse than that, there's the dumb stuff that we do to ourselves, yeah? Anybody with me on that? Anybody notice that? I want to put a question to you. What sort of lion do you want? What sort of cat do you want in your life? You know, when you're facing a problem, do you want to show up with kitty under your arm? (laughs) (laughs) Meow, meow. You know, sort of hold the cat up as though that stuffed pussy is going to scare it. (laughs) Now, see, I want to show up with like a real lion. Look what I've got. The thing, the thing jumps up and does the whole MGM growl thing. When I was at school, I had, um, in, in my, I think my second final year, year 11, um, I, I sing a bit. So I, I thought, I'll go and try out for the school musical. So I went and tried out for the school musical. And guess what I found? I was the only kid in my form that could sing. And so they said, oh, you can sing. You can be the main part. And so I, whatever. And so I did the main part. And it was... It was um, the musical Annie Get Your Gun, and I played Frank Butler. And, uh, you know, I got to sing a few songs, and, and in the end, in the final scene, I got to kiss the leading lady in the movie. And um, so, well, I know St Phillips is not quite as progressive as our school was, but there you go. <laughs> um, we, there, was, there was other things that happened at my school that don't happen at St Phillips, Pam, let me tell you. <laughs> so... We were in the playground just a, you know, a week or so after that. And, uh, and, and I was getting a really hard time from the guys about being in the musical, singing and stuff, you know. But, but I had a friend. He wasn't a real close friend, but he was older than me. He was in the year older than me. And, I, and I'd played football with his football team. They were short a couple of times. And so I got to be a reserve. And so we got, kind of got to know each other. But his name was Gary O'Sullivan and everybody called him Gus. And Gus was about year 12. He was probably six foot four, six foot five maybe. And he kind of walked with a stoop, you know, like really big, tall people do. And he looked like the sort of guy that you didn't want to get on the wrong side of. 
And so I was kind of a little bit, a little bit man from Snowy River, you know, he was, I was sort of standing there, nobody was my friend, then, then Clancy became his friend, and I think we ought to let him come. Well, Gus, Gus said, you know what, he said I'd get up and sing a few songs if I got to sing, kiss her at the end of the show, and uh, that was the end of that. That was the end of that. Gus had spoken. The lion had roared. I was delivered. (laughs) Let me ask you a question. If you're in a fight with the devil for your very life, what do you want to take into that fight with you? Stuffed kitty or Aslan? He's not safe, but he's good. He's not safe, but he's good. Let me tell you why we're scared. Why were Israel scared? And we're going to go to the next scripture. Because it says, When the people saw the thunder and the lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain in smoke, they trembled with fear. They stayed at a distance. Really important. They stayed at a distance. In fact, in the New Testament, it talks about shrinking back. They actually took a few steps back from the mountain. And they said to Moses, Speak to us yourself and we will listen, but do not have God speak to us because it will kill us. So the people remained at a distance. You know, there's something about our, ourselves, our, our human nature, that gets nervous around the mighty God, the holy God. And we saw it in the, in the, new te- in the right at the beginning when Adam sinned, if we throw up the next verse. And it says that, the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden. Maybe it was the sound of a lion, pads, hitting the garden. It says, and God says to Adam, where are you? Where are you? I want to relate to you. And Adam says, uh, I was afraid. So I hid myself. He shrank back. He didn't want to have to deal with God because he felt that thing in his life, that sin, was too big for God to fix. See, God's not a kitty. He's not a little stuffed toy. He doesn't get frightened by our stuff. He says, come on, come on, come out here with me. I know I look a bit dangerous, but trust me, I'm good. I'm good. I'm not only good, I'm big enough to deal with your stuff. Amen? I'm big enough. I'm dangerous. I'm dangerous. I'm dangerous, but hey, I'm not dangerous to you. Let's go have a look at the next scripture. The next screen, sorry. God wants us to draw near. Just, well, I've got to tell a story about drawing near because I've told a story about all the others. We were in England over Christmas because that's where my son Josh lives with his wife and his new little baby Noah. And it was uh, pretty cold, really as England is at Christmas time. And one of the things we noticed, we, we, were, we were at Clifton in, in Bristol, and, and I was talking to my friend. I've got a friend that I've known for many, many years who, who now lives in Chelsea, and I realised I had his phone number, so I thought I'll give him a call. And I'm walking around, talking on the phone, and literally it was so cold, my cheeks froze, and I, I wouldn't work anymore I was talking like this. And so I had to pull my, kind of my jacket right up over my face. And then I had to take the mobile phone out of my hand that was still like that and try and get it into my pocket to warm it up. And we found that that happened a lot in England at that time because it was like really cold. But many of the houses in England have a fire. And when you've come in from the outside when it's really cold, 
what do you do? Do you shrink back from that fire? Not in your nelly. No, you draw near. You draw near to that fire because that fire is going to help you. Yeah, but it's dangerous. Of course it's dangerous, but it's good. When it's sitting inside a fireplace, it's good. It's controlled. God controls his power because of Christ. Let's, let's go to the next scripture. See, Israel was living in the kingdom of darkness just like Adam was. And that was the big problem. When we live in the darkness, in the kingdom of darkness, it's easy to feel like God is not our friend, he's our enemy. Because we're not living in his kingdom. And so, as a result, if you're living in a kingdom and God is a lion and a king and powerful and he's not your friend, it's possible you might get a bit fearful. But let's look, see what this says. It says, the Bible says, He has made you fit that He will give to you all His holy people. Sorry, to have what he will give to all his holy people. You will receive a share of the kingdom of light. For he has saved, or in other words, delivered you from the kingdom of darkness and he has brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves. He's taken us out of darkness, picked us up. He's picked us up. He's taken us out of darkness and he's brought us across to the kingdom of light. But something's happened in that journey. We've moved from being his enemies to being his friends. His friends. And now the God who was powerful and like a a, a roaring lion that scared the pants off us no longer scares us anymore because we've moved from darkness into light. And I'm going to show you something in a minute that's going to just blow you away blow you away it's it's where the story of the fire on the mountain ends up and it's going let me tell you it's going to blow you away let's keep going cuz romans says there's there, there is therefore now no condemnation say no condemnation no condemnation have you done anything wrong yep if you're in christ is there condemnation No condemnation. No condemnation. God says, he looks at you, sees Jesus and said, you're in. But God, you don't understand what I've done. Doesn't matter. I sent Jesus to pay the price so you don't have to pay the price for what you've done. Come on in, friend. I'm on your side. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. And then over to the next one. But now in Christ, you who were once afar off have been brought near. Draw near. Drawing near is the key to living a life on fire for God. Consequently, you're no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household. I want you to remember one thing today, one thing. I don't care if you don't remember the desired bit. I I doubt you'll forget the dangerous bit. I doubt you'll forget the bit about Kitty and the lion, right? But there's one thing I want you to remember. The key to living a life on fire with God, there's only one key. See, I can stand up here and tell you reasons why you should be on fire. Won't make any difference. 
I can even use guilt as a bit of a motive. God's done so much for you. So you ought to live. Stir yourselves up. Stir yourselves up. Come on. God's done all these things. Stir yourselves up. Won't make a scrap of difference. Because John said, there's one coming after me who's greater than I am. And he will baptise you with the Holy Spirit and he will ask you to stir yourselves up. Is that what it says? What does it say? He says, he will baptise you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. See, the fire comes from God. All these stories we're going to see, we're going to see fire coming out from the presence of God. The fire The fire to live an on-fire life doesn't come from a message that encourages you to stir yourself up. It comes from a vision of a God that is awesome and draws you up to himself and says, I want to be with you. I want to be with you. The key to this, the key to living an on-fire life is to draw near to him. Okay, we're going to finish with just that big long verse, Cam, if that's okay, from Hebrews. Remember I said you'd... So this is, this is what the writer to the Hebrews puts thousands of years after the Exodus story and he's talking about that story in Exodus 19 and 20. And he says, You've not come to a mountain that can be touched and burning with fire. The problem with the can be touched was God said, if any of the people even touch this mountain, if they even put their foot on the mountain where I am, if one of their sheep or goats straggles up onto the mountain, they're finished. They're going to die. Whoa, no wonder they shrank back. Yeah? You've not come to that kind of mountain that could be touched and that's burning with fire to darkness and gloom and storm or to a trumpet blast or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged to stop. Stop! We don't want to listen to this anymore. No further word be spoken to them because they could not bear what was commanded. If you even touch the, uh, if you even, an animal touches the mountain, it will be stoned to death. Let me stop here and say something really interesting. Israel was all in for a relationship with God until he started reading the law out to them. Isn't that interesting? He gave them the Ten Commandments. They said, ah, we don't want this anymore. Where's the stuff line? Come on. Where's the little stuff kitty? I don't want this, this, this roaring line that starts telling us stuff about our life. I want stuff kitty that makes me feel better about myself. The sight was so terrifying, terrifying Moses said, I'm trembling with fear. No, no, no. That's not what we've come to. Look at, look, look at the difference that Jesus makes to a moment. And I want to tell you today, if Israel was able to stand and look at that mountain with New Testament eyes, they would not have seen fire. They would not have seen cloud. They would not have seen scary. They would have said, you, seen you've come to Mount Zion, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. Their eyes were dark. They couldn't see this. All they saw was smoke and fire. But Hebrews says, you've come to the assembly of God's angels singing with joy. That wouldn't be the first time that they missed seeing angels. Remember the story of uh, the prophet? Who was it? Um, not not um, Elisha, Elijah. Elijah. 
and he's on the on the mountain, and he his servant goes out one morning, and uh, to stretch, you know, as you do in the morning, and looked out, and there was this thousands, hundreds of thousands of, of soldiers, and uh, turned around and said, uh, "Boss, uh, uh, boss, uh, you might want to get up and have a look at this." And the prophet walked out, and he looked, and he just said, "Lord, open his eyes." And the servant looked again and he saw all around the mountain between them and the soldiers were angels. All around the mountain. See, when we look with the right eyes, we don't see fire and trembling and scary. We see good. You've come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly. To the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven, you've come to God, the judge of all. To the spirits uh, spirits of the righteous made perfect. To Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, a better covenant, a safe covenant. To the sprinkled blood that speaks better, a better word than the blood of Abel. And just so, therefore, since we have received, uh, we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God with accept, acceptably with reverence and awe. If I can get the band to come. Guys, worship the Lord with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. I want to say again to you today what kind of God do you want to serve? When you're standing there facing your problem, do you want to serve kitty cat? God or do you want to serve consuming fire God I want the God who's going to go and fight on my behalf 